Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Gaines. And welcome to Chris Gaines, the podcast. This is the show where we take an exhaustive look at the career of country superstar Garth Brooks and his much maligned decision in 1999 to take on an fictional mm-hmm. personality by the name of Chris Gaines. The album, In the Life of Chris Gaines, was meant to be a pre-soundtrack release to a feature film entitled The Lamb. It was a way of letting the audience get to know the character before they went to see the movie. Despite selling 2 million copies, the album was considered a complete failure and heralded an early retirement from Brooks. I am Michael Eads. I am Ashley Spurgeon. And we are your hosts for this Behind the Music, Behind the Music podcast. Chris Gaines, the podcast is us. Yeah, I keep using the Behind the Music, Behind the Music as like a tagline. Mm -hmm. It's it's not that sensible. It's not that good. Well, there was a Behind the Music that does exist. Yeah. A fake, real Behind the Music. Of Chris Gaines. Yes. Yeah. Was not an officially sponsored episode. It was not an officially sponsored. No. So was it like an ad then? Oh, yeah. Kind of. I bet Capitol Records paid for that whole thing. What's the relationship between Capitol Records and Viacom? Probably tight. Probably extremely tight. Mm. Mm. Before we dive in, I do want to do a little bit of housekeeping. I want to give you a gentle reminder that this show is brought to you by We Own This Town, a podcast network out of Nashville, Tennessee. You can check out that at weownthistown.net. And you can find this show on the internet at chrisgaines.show and at garthgainessnl.com. On Twitter. That's our, that's our housekeeping. They're really good. I really would encourage everyone to go to the dot .show address mm-hmm. because it won't let me post it anywhere on the internet. Well, we're blocked on Facebook <laughs> currently. Um, I think there's some sort of intellectual property violation eh, happening there. Eh, I'm going to figure out a workaround. Eh. It's going to happen. Okay. But I'm not now, worried about it. I feel an odd bit of validation that Facebook has blocked our sites because that means they're they're paying attention. I tried to share it and they were like, this has been flagged. Tell us if you think is wrong. And the box came up and I said, I didn't make this link. My friend did. I yeah. think it's safe. That was that was my explanation. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, <laughs> I often hear referred to as a dumpster fire. And I believe that. It's not super great. Especially if you like podcasts, because there aren't any podcasts on Facebook. So go to okay. Spotify. Yeah. Go to what? Are, what else is there? We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We're on Overcast. We're on TuneIn. We're on Stitcher. Wow. Yeah. All the things. Those are way better. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. You can find us on all those things. Just don't try and post Chris Show to Facebook. It will break. And, unless you're hearing this like a month after it comes out, and hopefully I will have fixed it by then. So... Before we dive into our subject, mm-hmm. I did want to, I wanted to update people on a few things. One, at our SNL gift repository, the Garth Brooks Chris Gaines Countdown.com, yes. the other domain we own, also blocked by Facebook, I added several new gifts. The entire episode of Garth Brooks Chris Gaines is already documented on there in great detail, but I found a commercial a promo commercial for the episode gift that bad boy wow yeah and garth gives a really prescient shruggy it's, I, it's really good I'm, I'm i'm taking a peek at these gifts right now from the promo ad he has on a dark black cowboy hat a dark black turtleneck sweater here's what i'm already loving 
the sleeves are pulled down kind of over his hands. He's, this is a very pensive promo from Garth. Would, would I go so far as to say sexy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I would. It's also pretty 1999. The like long sleeves, maybe with the thumb <laughs> hole cut in it. You there, know? Uh, I can't see if there's a thumb hole or not. I'm going to assume that there is yeah. until proven wrong. And he bought it with the thumb hole for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. Also, if you go to chrisgaines.show slash covers you'll be redirected to a youtube playlist of chris Gaines cover songs so it's short right now there's only three it was obviously the childish gambino one that came out mm-hmm. it was phenomenal everyone loves that but little did you know Alison kraus the Alison kraus the Alison kraus covered the song maybe that we talked about in the last episode and don henley of the, the don henley of the eagles <laughs> Uh, covered It Don't Matter to the Sun with special guest Stevie Nicks. So it's a Don Henley, Stevie Nicks duet of cover It Don't Matter of, to the Sun. Yes. Okay, cool. And it's an Alison Krauss cover of Chris Gaines' song, Maybe. Yes. Cool. So if you have a cover of a Chris Gaines song, send it to us. We'll add it to the playlist. You, Childish Gambino, Alison Krauss, mm-hmm. Stevie Nicks, it's that easy. They're all equal. It's that easy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Garth Brooks, I believe. The Ah. career and life of Troil. Yes. Fun fact A number one that most people do not know. Garth Brooks is not his entire name. His name is Troil. Troil Garth. Named for his father, Troil. Let that soak in just for a second. I've never heard that name before in my life. I've never heard no. a variant of it no. in my life. No. I don't know. You know what? I, it's probably a last name. It's probably a family surname that got like thrown to the front at yeah. some point. My suspicion. I can't even imagine what country that's from. And I don't want to. Troy. It's from Troy. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason we're talking about Garth Brooks is, and I know you're listening to a Chris Gaines podcast, so you're like, give me that Chris Gaines content. I want it bad. But you can't talk about Chris Gaines unless you understand Garth Brooks. There is no Chris Gaines without Garth Brooks. Absolutely. There is no Frankenstein's monster without Dr. Frankenstein. I mean, it's it is in the what name. it is, you yeah. know? And we are here to walk you through the life and career of Garth Brooks up to the point of Chris Gaines' inception. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't have all the behind the scenes insights here on when he actually became an idea to Garth Brooks. No. Could have been childhood. He could have been dreaming of him the whole time. Exactly. I don't know. I I can't read his mind. No. I didn't interview him or his dreams. But we can glean a lot of information from Garth's life and see how that's going to embed itself into the Chris Gaines experience. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to do today. I'm so excited. Yeah. So we have done legit research. Uh, There are multiple books on the table. I am looking at One of a Kind, Working on a Full House, The Garth Brooks Story by Rick Mitchell. I took a look at The Garth Factor, The Career Behind Country's Big Boom by Patsy Bale Cox. I also peeked at Creating Country Music, Fabricating Authenticity by Richard A. Peterson. Uh, Found some scholarly articles on Jay's store about Garth and Gaines. Just peeking around. I will not be discussing this in a scholarly manner necessarily. I'm not going to have immediate citations for anything that I say, but I encourage all of you at home to rent these books from the library. Absolutely. Google this shit, yes. you know? I mention all that just to say, we did the work. We did do a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was, I was, was going in pretty blind. Like, I 
don't Same. know anything about Garth Brooks right. as a human being. And now we know a, a lot. lot. Now I know a lot about him <laughs> and his life and his loves and his dreams and his goals and his failures. <sighs> Yeah. Let's, let's dive in, yeah, let's I dive guess. In. Yeah. So we'll start. The man is born. This is the beginning. you got to start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Born February 7th, 1962 in Yukon, Oklahoma. That makes him an Aquarius. <laughs> what is an Aquarius like? Uh, it's a water bearer. Okay. Uh, very opinionated. Mm. Very work driven. Oh. Uh, I think pretty sensitive. <gasps> Interesting. I like all of those aspects and I feel like they, they I think repeat. they align. Yeah. Mm. If you're into those sorts of things, maybe we'll have uh, Miss Caitlin Rose on here to give <laughs> some star signs. Um, his father is Troyal Raymond Brooks Jr. So his dad was Troyal Jr. And his mom was Colleen McElroy Carroll Brooks. Both parents had been previously married. So Garth has four half-siblings, Jim, Jerry, Mike, and Betsy. Mm-hmm. Last name Smittle. Oh, that's fun. I have a, I have an ancestor. I have a Victorian ancestor named Arabella Suggins. So, or Sugden, no, no, something like that. I that will is not real. Sh- bitch, I will show you her picture. <laughs> It's so, all on ancestry. So Garth has one full sister named Kelly. And she's an older sister as well. He is the youngest yes. of six, which okay. I think also kind of puts you in a headspace. He's the youngest kid of six. So he's in a, a house of eight. I mean, it's huge. And you're the baby baby. Yeah. Baby baby. Baby baby. Uh, Troyal was a draftsman for the oil companies. Troyal Jr., daddy. Uh, and Colleen, his mother, was a musician. She actually recorded for Capitol Records. She appeared on the TV show Ozark Jubilee in the 50s and actually released some singles, one of which is No Tellin' with Blue Bonnet Waltz. I'll link it on YouTube. It's good. Yeah. 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 She can sing. Yeah. No telling how many sides you in a musical household you know i mean that's so many that's the origin story of so many people it's like oh well you know my mom was a singer my dad played the drums my my grandpa was joe strummer you know it's always there's always like some (laughs) bullshit like that in the secret it's like oh well my grandfather owned capitol records so you know that's why i got the contract but so he uh his mom actually gave up her music career for the family mm-hmm. which is kind of understandable if you think about for her first family or her second family for her second family okay uh, all right <laughs> but i mean if you've got six kids to take care of like if she's trying to do a recording career and take care of the entire house that's insane in the mid 60s in mid 60s oklahoma yeah yeah so that's some fun baggage that uh, Garth probably carried around Has with him. Has the pill even been released yet? No, that's a question for you. I'm a white male. I don't, I don't know so. history. I don't think so. When did uh, I... Loretta Lynn, when did Loretta Lynn release the song about the birth control pill? <laughs> We're both Googling on this show now. <laughs> so 1975. So a full 12 years after Garth's birth. Yeah. Yeah. But pretty good timing for him to hear it and absorb it. Very good point. Yeah. Because, I mean... In 1962, none of that stuff was sinking in. But as you mentioned, it was a big house and they were musicians. The household was known to have an, a talent night called Funny Night at the Brooks household. That was like telling jokes or telling stories, playing music. Brooks is cited as performing guitar and banjo. So ah. very young, he's he's taken to that. I found a really interesting quote from Garth regarding these sort of these family band sessions. Uh, he said, "Being the youngest of six kids, my influences come from all over the board. I particularly liked James Taylor, 
Dan Fogelberg, Elton John, Journey, Boston, Kansas. But I also love Towns Van Zandt, George Jones, Janis Joplin, Rita Coolidge. The 70s rock shows probably influenced my live show the most. My older brothers and sister listened to Sticks and Queens, so I did too. So that's a pretty solid, like, 70s radio rock Uh, childhood. The standards, the classics, FM radio. Yeah. FM uh, American Rock Radio. Uh, I got the same information in my separate research. He mm-hmm. loves Kiss. He loves Fleetwood Mac. He loves Kansas. He loves Elton John. I did a little cross research to look up like what was in the top charts, top pop charts in 1975. Mm-hmm. Garth, Garth's a 13-year-old. What's playing on the radio? Captain and Tennille, Glenn Campbell, yeah. Elton John, Frankie Valli. Yeah. Oh, what a night. Mm-hmm. That one? Yeah. No, my eyes adored you. Okay. Different one. But David Bowie's fame? Mm-hmm. Also in there. Do you think fame made it to Oklahoma? Do you think that was getting a lot of play on terrestrial Oklahoma radio? Because that's always my question. It's yeah. like, because you're not, it's, you know, he's not in New York. He's not in Los Angeles. What, I guess, are you picking up radio stations from Chicago? My positive view on this is that in every city across the nation, there's weirdos. And I it, think that's true. And if his, I know that's true. If his siblings were listening to Kiss and other bands like that, very likely that David Bowie was in the mix. That's a very good point. What? If your older sister is listening to Queen, what's David Bowie from there? Uh, nothing. Yeah. They're, they're duetting. Very good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of country, so he, he mentioned George Jones a little. I guess, was it George Strait, who was like the country artist that was like, yeah. this is the one yeah. for me. So uh, in 1981, he hears George Strait's debut and the song Unwound like knocks him upside the head, like makes a huge difference to him because country music in the 70s kind of takes a turn towards pop Mm -hmm. it loses a lot of the twang it doesn't have the same uh the artifice of being uh you know a western kind of thing um you know you have like islands in the stream i don't know what year that was released but that's considered a country song country song i cite that all the time like it's two country artists but it's not a country song but it's not a country song i mean nine to five is on the radio at this point like late 70s like dolly parton's nine to five that is not a country song that is a banger pop song without a doubt yeah yeah yeah. and country music more so than most other genres has like a real bugaboo about authenticity Mm -hmm. and like pop versus purist things you know and it's never that easy of a demarcation and i think it will almost always depend on when you were born yeah and when you're alive and when you're listening to that music i mean because if you are if it's nine it's let's say it's 1962 okay mm-hmm. you know and you're listening to johnny cash or what the hell ever bluegrass fans from the 30s uh, are gonna call them no we're the country music purists yeah. i know you know sure. flat and scrugs and all this mountain shit you know it's yeah. like a completely different thing a boy named Sue is not that. Yeah. At all. And people of color everywhere are like, what have you stolen from us? All of it. All of it. Everything. Never forget that, One folks. of the coolest things you can see in the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum, at least this used to be the case years ago, was there's there's an old banjo on display that was like brought from Africa. Wow. Holy the shit. The banjo is an African instrument. I have learned something today. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. I don't really know much of the history of like Appalachian music specifically, Appalachian music, uh, however you want to say it. But I mean, it's a part of country folk. I mean, folk music, like Scottish folk songs, Irish folk songs, fucking fiddles on all that shit. You know, it's country music 
is, if you're listening to it on the radio, it's almost certainly pop. Just that's just true. Right. You know what I mean? Especially. Do you mean for now the, or in the 70s? I mean, for the past 50 years. Yeah. I mean, for the past, yeah, probably 40 or 50 years. Yeah, that's fair. So one note about Colleen, his mother, uh, from my book. Colleen is described as an outspoken extrovert by nature, a flamboyant dresser who laughs and cries easily in public. The last is a trait shared by Garth, sometimes to his embarrassment. So his mom is a hot-headed woman, says that when he's playing sports, she'll go scream at the coach. Like, I mean, she's a musician and she's a wildly outspoken and a passionate woman. Passionate. I mean, clearly we see that later in Garth's life. That's picking really that straight cool. up from his mom. That's really interesting that you said that too about the like crying and because I found an interesting tidbit from Garth in Do my tell. reading. He was he was talking about being the youngest son, pretty much older siblings, oh, for sure. you know. Uh, and he was talking about when his dad would get into fights with his older brothers, and he would see his dad rush upstairs to like he was upset and he was crying. And Garth said, "I think I understood that it was somehow good." For a child to know that a man can cry and be no less of a man, think how much better off people would be if they knew that. True. I agree with every word of that. Yeah. With my full heart. I mean, no shit. Yeah. Congrats. You get it. Garth gets it. Garth understands toxic masculinity. And he is not a fan. No. And he never was a fan. It sounds like. He sounds like he never was a fan. Which is, I mean, his dad did go upstairs to hide the tears. So he wasn't sharing that it was okay to cry. But I think Garth gleaned from that that running away was not the way to do it. I mean, just the fact that he even would give that quote is something that most people won't do. Especially in country music. Especially in country music, yeah. Yeah. Imagine if more people knew that it was okay for a man to cry. Said this man. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool to me. That's like, amazing. I think that's really bold. That's not an attitude within country music. That's also not an attitude within American culture. That's also not an attitude within Western culture. Since what? The Romans? I don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, that's cool as hell to me. It's, it's extremely you know, cool. We're going to learn that Garth is pretty rad in a lot of ways. I know. It's really interesting. <laughs> Troyle is described in this book uh, by Garth as saying, if I could wrap my dad up in two words, it would be thundering tenderness. He's a man with the shortest temper I ever saw. And at the same time, he's got the biggest heart. Sometimes the greatest conflicts are not between two people, but between one person and himself. He knows what's right and he doesn't have any tolerance for what isn't right. But at the same time, he's so forgiving that yeah i love that so that makes me i'm just really just gaining such an appreciation for garth's perspective on the world in my research here yeah i totally expected to go into this being like oh he's gonna hate his dad like they're gonna have a tumultuous relationship i mean thundering tenderness is maybe not a great descriptor of a person (laughs) garth has a particular way with words yeah but Uh, i just mean like thundering like that means that his dad got mad mm -hmm. a lot but came around to those mistakes but it sounds like they got along okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't, have, you know, I don't have any insight other than the official stories that sure. are, you know, given the thumbs up by Garth and his people for the past thirty years. But I mean, <laughs> I get the impression he had a decent childhood. You know, for sure. Yeah. No major problems. Or yeah, none that I read about, except yeah. one thing I did learn about him. Mm-hmm. Garth loves the ladies. <gasps> So, in high school, he was he was a football player and a baseball player. He also had a garage rock band called The Nile. 
N-I-L-E. N-Y-L-E. Oh, sexy. Yeah. He wasn't great at sports, but it was kind of a family tradition, so mm-hmm. he played sports. Uh, but he also tried out for the drama, like tried out for the school play, got a lead role, and was kind of a heartthrob in that respect. Would write poems to the ladies. Oh. And his high school coach uh, is quoted as saying he he had a strong religious background and didn't party or drink, but he loved the girls. He always had a lot of girlfriends. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Note one on that. This so comes just, up a lot. We'll just we'll just highlight that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, worth noting. <laughs> So, yeah, he excelled in English and writing. Yeah. No shit. That makes sense. Yeah, adds up. Uh, And eventually graduates high school and goes to Oklahoma State University, OSU, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. It's kind of like the Murfreesboro to Nashville. Okay. It's far enough away that, like, you're away from family, but, like, you can go home. Like, That's nice. You can. It's a suitcase college, I'm sure. Okay. They call it the Austin of Oklahoma. It has a really strong music scene. Do they, do they call it that? People in Stillwater okay. call it the Austin <laughs> of Oklahoma. Uh, it's known for uh, like a, a, a musical genre that was like invented there. Red dirt music. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So there's a musician named Bob Childers. It's kind of like the father of red dirt music. The readings I've done on it are like, it's kind of like calling things indie which is just broad. broad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it it combines folk, rock, country, bluegrass, blues, western swing, honky tonk and Mexican influences. So that means there's like trumpets and pedal steel I mean, and I think, yeah, fiddles it's a, it and like banjos all, and <laughs> yeah it's all western things like the west i'll be honest that sounds extremely fly and i would like to hear it i agree i agree <laughs> i listened to some of bob childers it's like a more countrified bob dylan oh that sounds fun yeah not bad that sounds fun yeah things without we wanted were the ones that could not last Places we call home now seem so strange. So while he's at OSU, he gets a partial scholarship as a javelin thrower. Do you think that there was a lot of competition for that for OSU? Was there? There was none. (laughs) They hadn't even had a program for it. He was like the first javelin thrower. He just got them to give him money. They were like developing this thing. And they were (laughs) like fleshing out their sports program. Like, let's add these weird Olympic things like shot put and javelin and long jump and Garth, who had played sports in high school. Football and baseball, right? He'd always had a powerful arm and exceptionally strong legs. Based wow. on based on that that Chris Gaines photo I was looking at in the booklet right. last week, I can confirm. <laughs> no padding on that picture. Oh my god, thighs like tree trunks. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> one the biggest part of the OSU experience, we're, we'll get into his music playing and exploring that. But while at OSU, a former classmate named Jim Kelly died in a plane crash Mm. and another classmate Heidi Miller died in a car wreck so two massive tragedies in Garth's life he dedicates his first album to them it's so impactful to him we'll talk about it when we get to Chris Gaines oh we will 
put a little check mark by what I just said because so, listener, dear listener, lots of ladies. Note. One, number two, dead friends. Okay. All right, cool. Got yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So while he's there, he gets an opportunity to work at Opryland. Opryland USA. Yes. The Opryland USA in, in Na- Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. Wow. And he is packing his bags and he tells his parents, I'm moving to Nashville. I'm going to God work at Opryland. Right. Yeah. And they say, You have not graduated college yet. Don't go. You've got to graduate college. I like his parents. Yeah. His dad put all of those kids through college and made $20,000 a year. Like, massive. I mean, they had scholarships. Wow. They they probably yeah, yeah. had other help. But still, very good on Brad him. had a job in college, too. Yeah, so, yeah. for sure. Uh, he was a bouncer. And he worked at a sporting goods store. He had all kinds <laughs> of jobs. He was an indifferent student. Didn't care. He was an advertising major. Mm-hmm. Well, I read that he was an advertising major because he was interested in getting into jingles. He wanted to write commercial jingles. Uh, not so much interested in, like, a marketing aspect of that career but he liked using melody to sell yeah i suppose yeah and just the the entire marketing aspect and knowledge base that comes with being an advertising major Mm -hmm. that's i mean your 101 classes give you a lot of good info that like most punters off the street don't have right so exactly (laughs) so he's he's coming out swinging here which is great he passes on opryland fun fact i learned that opryland was like a haven for songwriters to work at because you could just go there during the day, wasn't super hard work. And then at night, the park was closed, so you could go to the songwriters in the round and like tons of people worked at Opryland. Uh, There's an episode of Nashville Demystified that interviews Dan Butler, a comedian and an actor who actually wrote for Ernest P. Worrell. Familiar. And uh, he talks about anecdotally how that happened at Opryland. Opryland was a big deal. That's really cool. For Garth to have this thing sort of offered to him and for him to pass had to be kind of heartbreaking. Mm. Garth, I'm glad he finished college. I'm glad he finished college too. I'm glad he too. finished college. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's gigging around town, mm-hmm. living in Stillwater. He's not really accepted by the Stillwater crew because he does not make Red Dirt music. No. He covers top 40 songs. He's doing a little more traditional country. He's not doing this indie version of country, country music. music. But he does cover a lot of top 40 songs, you said. Yes. Yeah. So he's getting a following, but he's he's kind of a little bit of an outsider. He knows people in town, but he gets a job. And he's what, 19, 20 yeah. here? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he graduates. In, in 1984, he graduates. So if we do our little bit of math, if we use our handy calculator. 22. He's 22. So, 22, living in Stillwater, working as a bouncer. I uh, played around town at the quad and at the local coffee shops, building the scene. And as a bouncer at the bar Tumbleweeds, he has an encounter with a All of these names are great, by the way. Stillwater, Tumbleweeds. Stillwater is such a romantic name. Stillwater sounds so romantic. I can't get over it. It sounds like a movie it's city. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Ugh. Yeah. One night, I'm reading from a book now. One night, Garth was called upon to investigate a disturbance in the ladies' room. As he has recounted the story many times, he entered to find a shapely blonde in tight jeans and a cowboy hat with her arm stuck in the pressed plywood wall. A smaller woman was cowering in the corner. I missed, said the blonde, who might have been a little toasted on tequila. I thought, man, this is nuts, Garth has said, but I helped her get her hand free, and as I was taking her outside, I just kept thinking about how good-looking she was. There was something about her that was just tearing me up. 
I said, look, the policy is that when we throw a woman out, we have to make sure she gets home safely. She agreed. And I was thinking, all right. I told her, why don't you come up to my place and I'll take you home in the morning when you're feeling better. She just looked up at me with that sweet little face and said, drop dead, asshole. That story is incredible for a number of reasons. That's a meet cute for the ages. Yeah. So, so that is Sandy Mall, who eventually becomes Garth's first wife. Mm-hmm. She is clearly a spitfire. I, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about the cowering woman in the corner. It's like, well, I would love to hear her side of the story yeah. as recounted through all the years. It's like, I remember this fucking crazy bitch almost beat me up in the bathroom. Yeah. And then this big galoot came in and started flirting with her and I was crying. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then later on, he's a billionaire. Yeah. I mean, I've <laughs> I've been... Plenty drunk in my life. Never put my fist through a plywood I've never wall. thrown. A, I've been plenty drunk. I've never thrown a punch at anyone. No. I. <laughs> I've never thrown. An, yeah. Right. So that sets the scene for Sandy. I do appreciate the bar's policy of making sure that the lady gets home okay when she gets kicked out, even though Garth was trying to pull some like yeah. questionable Look. consent. The year was 1984. Yeah, I guess. It was a different time. Uh, yeah, Listen to Eddie Murphy Raw. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, George, George Carlin will spell it out for you. Uh, but yeah, it's super questionable. Great policy. Make sure they get home safe. Not a personal escort back to your own home. No, but also it lets me know the genesis of that relationship is, ooh, fucking. Yes. It's like, ooh, check out this yes. like big ass hot blonde, like trying to beat up dumb bitches. It's like, what part of like I fell in love with her big ass is not present in that story? I mean, you know, and the fact that she turned him down, called him an asshole, is only going to light the fires more. Right. I can hear the like. I can hear the harps. I can yeah. see the angels <laughs> floating around his head. What's not to love? What's not to love about that? Yeah. So it works. She turns him down, which Good I'm sure her. was authentic, and he's just smitten and goes for it. Uh, he, he wants to be with her and does eventually win her over. That's in 1984. He graduates, meets Sandy. They're mm-hmm. together. Little turn here. 1985 starts up. Garth ditches Oklahoma, leaves Sandy yeah. in the dust, goes straight to Nashville because he has graduated and it's time for him to make it. This is it. This, this is, is it. it. This is this it. This is it. He's going to do it. So he's staying at like the Holiday Inn in Nashville, lands himself a meeting with the head of ASCAP. A-S-C-A-P. A-S-C-A-P, which is a performance royalty organization. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't live in Nashville and hear these terms bandied about <laughs> constantly. Basically, are... every time you hear a song played in public, someone has to get paid. Yes, and ASCAP and BMI make sure that these people get paid. When you hear about Spotify not paying enough royalties, what's happening is Spotify pays a giant sum of money to ASCAP and BMI and CSAC, and then they split up that money to the artists based on what they feel is the number is- of plays. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's called business. Yes. Learn it. Yes. <laughs> So uh, it's all feelings and vibes. Everything is feelings and vibes. There's no such thing as hard numbers. Not in the (laughs) God. No response to that because it's so sadly true. Yeah. So Merlin Littlefield. God bless. President of Ask. Incredible name. Are Are we going to come across a bad name in our research? Because I don't believe we will. 
I don't think so. Merlin. Don was Stillwater. <laughs> fucking Merlin is here now. Anyway, Even go on. Sandy Mall. Pretty awesome. I know. Yeah. Sandy is a pretty cool name. Yeah. So he gets this meeting the first day he's there. And as he's having this meeting with Merlin, another songwriter comes in, kind of interrupts the meeting. And he's talking to Merlin about how he can't get a loan for $500 and how he's hard up. The songwriter in Nashville where Garth wants to be. Broke as hell. Can't get $500. He's broke as hell. Garth realizes he makes $600 a week (laughs) gigging in Stillwater. Playing, being in a bar band in Oklahoma. An Oklahoma, not even city. I was going to say Oklahoma City. A Stillwater, Oklahoma bar band pulling in more a week than a Nashville song, a professional songwriter in the city of professional songwriters. Astonishing. Merlin tells him, Go home. Like fuck you're, off. You're Troil. making well, you're making six hundred dollars yeah. a week. This guy can't even get a five hundred dollar loan. Like yeah. go home. You're doing fine. I am sure Merlin kicks himself in the ass every day <laughs> for getting rid of Garth, but Garth is quoted as saying it was a very embarrassing twenty three hours. Meaning he hightailed it out of there. He was not even in town for a full day. He just fucking turned up and Went back home. <laughs> so strike two. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got strike two. Yeah. So he goes back to Yukon because he can't go back to Stillwater. He's embarrassed. Mm-hmm. He told everybody he was leaving. He left Sandy. Oh. All the stuff. He had to go hide at home for a minute. Gets his head together. Is he married to Sandy yet? At this Not point, yet. Just dating. Okay. Goes back to Stillwater. He has to hide in Yukon for a little bit. <laughs> and he joins up with... The Skinner Brothers, another phenomenal name. Classic rock band that's in town. Their band is kind of falling apart, so he gets them to join him and make a new band called Santa Fe. This is a country band that played a little bit of classic rock. Uh, They played Hmm. a few originals, but again, mostly top 40 country songs, uh, covered George Strait a lot, and they become a regional hit outside of Stillwater. They're touring like- They got all the way down to New Mexico. They made it. Yeah. Made it all the way to New Mexico. Mary's Sandy. Congratulations. So he's got a regionally successful band named Santa Fe. He's got a bitchin' mustache, and he's got a new wife. He's got a hot new wife with a hot ass. What could <laughs> what could go better for Troyle? What could go better? Yeah, well, I think Troyle had some big dreams. Hmm. So uh, Tom Skinner of the Skinner Brothers, now Santa Fe bandmate, says, He told me before we even went to Nashville, he wants to be America's new hero. He told me America hasn't had a hero since John Wayne. This is 1987. Garth has regional success Mm -hmm. with a band. He has not headed to Nashville yet successfully, and he is saying America needs a hero. So this is one of the few dissenting opinions of Garth that I was able to come across. Everyone says Garth is authentic and lovely and wonderfully nice and just a true blue guy. Tom Skinner has a little bit to say that mentions he knows what he's doing. I mean, you have to know what you're doing, don't you? To some degree or other to... Yeah. Reach that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's naive. I feel like it's extremely naive to pretend otherwise. Yeah, I think Skinner is saying that Brooks' cowboy persona of the hat and the boots, that's not Brooks. He's like a sweatshirt and, you know, t shirt kind of guy, baseball cap kind of guy. Athletic. Yeah. Athleisure. Yeah, an athleisure guy for sure. I don't want to go on a tangent, but I think you're right. Every artist has to have that kind of thinking right of course you do of course you do you have to there there is always going to be a degree of ego involved in anything where you're putting yourself out there yeah because you have to believe this is worth hearing right what's the point otherwise right 
You don't hear, you don't ever hear from the people who don't believe that. Just full stop. That's interesting. That <laughs> It's making me think of NWA, actually. It's like, fuck John Wayne, though. It's like, this is your idea of a hero. Right. Interesting that you just skipped Reagan, I guess. <laughs> wow. Garth. Controversial. <laughs> but no, God, America hasn't had a hero since John Wayne. What about Martin Luther fucking King Jr.? How about that guy? I mean, Do you remember him after John Wayne? Yeah, I mean, Garth I'm just does saying. come around there, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it is I, interesting. But in in terms of the aesthetic, it's it's a you know he's talking about aesthetic. You you right. bring cowboy hats, jeans, right, belt buckles, the persona, the look. It's iconography. Yeah, and that's all it is. It's iconography. He's saying hero. He means archetype. Uh. Yes. He's saying hero, he means archetype. We haven't had a cowboy since John Wayne, is what he's trying to say. An excellent distinction. Thank you. For sure. So that's in 1987. He's 25. I mean, that's so young. If you're going to have an ego, having it at 25 is, is pretty- the perfect place to have it. <laughs> yeah. Your mustache will never be tighter. Oh, no Your way. Your legs will never be beefier. Yeah. So <laughs> he rounds the band up, Santa Fe, his wife and heads to Nashville. They do it. And they Damn. all together get a house in Hendersonville, which is a little suburb right outside of Nashville. It's not super close. It's not a super no, close. 25 minute drive. That's a pain in the ass. Yeah. But also probably an, cheaper. Yeah, but that's like an hour commute every day back and forth. It's true. So that's five guys, two wives, a kid, a dog and a cat living in one house. Guess what happened? It did not work. It didn't work. Yeah. So Santa Fe (laughs) breaks up almost immediately. Like within months, correct? I I mean, what I read was literally the words almost immediately. Okay. So (laughs) I imagine. Yeah, I think my book was within months. I mean, can you imagine living with five guys, two wives, a kid, a dog, and a cat? How long would you last? I got got three weeks. Who who does the kid and the dog and the cat belong to? Well, it didn't belong to Garth. (laughs) I bet he had a dog. He had the dog. Do you think Garth had a dog? I'm fairly sure. Okay. I don't know the name of it, but God, I wish I did. Anyway, (laughs) so now Garth is in Nashville. He did it. Finally. He's Third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. And just so happens, Mr. Bob Childers, who he knows from Stillwater, Mm -hmm. from the uh, Red Dirt music that he was not accepted in, (laughs) also lives in Nashville. Oh, what a a coincidence. Yes. So Bob shows Garth around town, starts introducing him to people. And here, 1987, here is where you start seeing the Nashville story. Like the archetype, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. Stereotype. The yeah, dream. Good point, yeah. I don't know how you describe it, but basically, Bob Childers introduces him to Pat Alger, who later writes the Thunder Rolls, Tony Arata, who writes the dance. Uh, and then he eventually meets this guy, Bob Doyle, from ASCAP. Gets another meeting with ASCAP. So this guy, Bob Doyle, in November of 1987, leaves ASCAP and starts his own publishing company called Major Bob Music. Okay. If you are in the country music world, that sounds absurd to you to cite Major Bob Music as anything but extremely known. <laughs> but at the time... Bob just struck out on his own and also started a management company, which seems like a conflict of interest to have. (laughs) Until you remember it's country music and it's all fucking payola. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But he starts a management. He has his own publishing company, Major Bob Music, and starts a management company with Pam Lewis, who is an MTV executive and an RCA Records publicist. Mm -hmm. So 
Good Note, MTV exec, and RCA Records publicist. I mean, she's got experience from a world that isn't country. MTV. I mean, that's... Mass media on yeah. the massest and scale. RCA, RCA is very rich at this time. Like, RCA is flush with cash. So she's coming from a place of, of knowing how to spend money in large I mean, volumes and effectively. it's the 1980s. <laughs> it's the music business in the 1980s. Yes. So they start Doyle Lewis Management. I believe their building is still on Music Row. Oh, Two-story cool. building, totally unlabeled. Pretty nice. <laughs> it's a therapist's uh, office now, I'm sure. Yeah. So at this time, 1987, Garth is the first client for Major Bob Music and Doyle Lewis Management. He's gigging down at the Bluebird. If you've seen the TV show Nashville, I believe things happen at Bluebird. It's a very popular place for songwriters and singers to sing their songs and talk about their songwriting. Yeah, yeah. So, I've never been. Uh, I've driven past it. But it's in a strip mall. It's in a strip mall. It's not a very fancy place. So... For those of you who don't know what a writers in the round session is, uh, there's a lot of people who write songs that are not famous performers, Mm -hmm. tons of them, uh, and they go to places like the Bluebird Cafe in Green Hills, Tennessee, Nashville, and just kind of sit five in a row and play their songs one after the other. So person one plays a song, everybody claps, they might even get judged on it, like a little scorecard held up. Then the next person goes, then the next person goes, and they just kind of play in a round, and they're sharing their songs. Even though they're not famous yet, they're just sort of like appreciating the craft of songwriting. Yeah, and I, w- I read that at this point in the 80s, it's like songwriters outnumber performers, like probably like a million to one yeah. or something in Nashville. For every one person who's a singer and performer, there are 10 who I are songwriters. It. I believe it. I'm, I'm pulling the number 10 out of my ass, but I'm also not, you know, pulling like, <laughs> it's like, I yeah. mean. I don't have a stat to back it up, but I know it's true. Exactly. Yeah. So another point here, uh, Garth talking about songwriting because he's in it like he is. uh, He's writing songs. He's writing songs. He's gigging at Bluebird. He's meeting tons of songwriters. He's like working at a cowboy boot store during the day with Sandy. Living it. And she says he just sat in the back and wrote songs all day. I loved this story because it was like Sandy got the job at the boot store, too, so she could cover for him while he ran off to like have meetings with people. Totally. I good woman sandy ride or die yeah for sure (laughs) yeah spitfire ride or die at this time garth says of songwriting the process of songwriting writing is like eating or sex any time of the day is fine i do it whenever i can the ideas come 24 hours a day not that they come that much but anytime anywhere the idea will come to you i mean i guess he's not wrong i guess he's not wrong i guess he's not wrong <laughs> eating or sex i just and songwriting in this book anytime sex was mentioned and it was frequent i wrote it down because it just kind of shocks me because i think of brooks from a 2019 perspective having watched him for so long that he's a uh, either asexual or just pure of heart and those are not thoughts that come to him in that way you don't really think of any country performer frankly especially in the 90s especially in the early 90s when garth was like first coming out and breaking out as being 
not only not overtly sexual, but like it's such just like a chaste frame. It's it's wife and children. Right. It's husbands and wives. It's 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 my man is in the army. It's my good wife at home. Not like any time of day, right. any time of night. <laughs> corn on the cob, yeah. writing down a song, doing it with my woman. You know what I mean? Right. That's just maybe it's a little more these. You know, women are like Brett Eldridge is sexy. You know, there's like sexier right. men. And women now, For but sure. definitely it, at that era, that's unusual. I mean, I think you would only get as far as people talking about like Dolly's tits and that's it. Right. No yes. one talking about like Ricky Skaggs sex appeal. <laughs> Hopefully there's a fanfic forum for that on the internet now. <laughs> so yeah, now we have come to 1988. Garth's got himself a publisher and he's got a management company and Again, the story just keeps unfolding for him. The Nashville story of success. Mm -hmm. He's starting to talk to producers. He's getting booking agents. He eventually lands a deal with Capital. They pitched Capital and they said no. And then they saw him at Bluebird and they were like, wow, let's talk. And he said, you already passed on us. He says, no, let's talk. Like literally the man plays at the Bluebird for Capitol Records and they're like, boy, I want to sign you. Like that story is so, so much of a fantasy, but it's happening to Brooks. So did they pass earlier just having heard demos yes. and not having seen him live? Yes, Yeah. exactly. Okay. So February 1989. Remember, he did not move to Nashville that long ago. <laughs> 1987. 1987. He moves to Nashville. November of 1987, he gets a management company, so same year, and then spends one year writing and gigging. Yeah. And then February 1989, his first single wow. is released. So he's recorded it. He's been signed. Like, he's done all And then, like, stuff. 14 months. Yeah. In approximately the space of, like, 14, 15 months. Yes. Okay. So, like, this dream of moving to Nashville <laughs> happens for him. Very quickly. Well, the third time. The third time, but still, I mean. But you see, that's why you wait because it wasn't quickly at all. Because it's like the because from in his head, it's like I've been trying to do this since 1981. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? True. He's 27 when this happens, and that feels old. When you've wanted the same thing since you were 18. Yeah. And man, but goddamn, he was only 27. He's only 27. Wow, okay. So uh, the first song that is released, Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old, it's it was originally written about a hard living musician, like a rock guy on the road, like a mm -hmm. road song. But Garth changed it to be about a saddle bronc rider. He even mentions uh, Chris Ledoux, who is like an underground rodeo bronc rider phenomena from Wyoming. I don't know if that counts for the artifice of country. Well, I, I found a quote from Garth about the writing of this song that I personally related to, that I was personally interested in. He said, there are a lot of songs about the road and not enough about rodeo. Even though I didn't ride in rodeos, I come from that culture. It's a world I love and the people who ride those broncos and bulls have always been heroes to me. So... Does it count if you don't yourself participate? It's like I'm from a small southern town, personally. I have family in the military. There are many growing up southern sort of touchstones that I experience directly. There are even more that I experience secondhand or oh, vicariously. Sure. And I would never lay claim to those secondhand experiences because I didn't live them. I don't feel like it counts. Right. You know what I mean? It's like I understand it from an artistic perspective using the things you know and the things you've seen and like putting yourself in the boots of others, if you will, you know. Right. 
But to say that, like, I come from that culture is like a little bit of a bridge too far for me. Mm. I come from that culture is a bridge too far. You don't. Did anyone in your family ride Broncos? We don't think so. So you didn't. But you got to imagine in Yukon, Oklahoma, that was happening. It was around in high school. I mean, I had friends that went to like the honky tonks, but I never did. So I'm not going to say, well, I grew up with the honky tonks because I never did that. I don't you know. know I'm is. not saying he never attended a race. I'm not saying Garth has never seen a horse. Okay. I'm just. I'm, I'm saying that. <laughs> Garth. I mean, do we have a picture of him with a horse? Never seen him with a have horse. Have we seen a video? Has he ever ridden a horse on video? Is there tape of Garth on a horse? We're I'm, saying no. At us, at Garth Gaines SNL, if you've ever seen Garth Brooks with a horse. Just asking questions. <laughs> just asking questions. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it is and it isn't, if you will. Right. It's like, it's, it's more sincere than perhaps someone who was born and raised in New York City writing a song about Buck and Broncos. But it's also using the lives and experiences of the people around you and reinterpreting them through your own perspective. That's brilliant, which is Which is art. Yes, it's art. But also it's like, I come from that culture. That's the line for me. That's the line for me that I don't think is fair. Interesting. Was Garth faking it the whole time? I'm not saying faking it necessarily, but... May, you know, it's like throwing a little extra twang in the drawl. Oh, for sure. You know, absolutely. Throwing a little extra twang in the drawl yeah. there. And we will definitely experience that as we move forward here. You know, we're just at 1989 <laughs> now. His first single has come out and it's pretty twangy. Like I spent all day today listening to these first few records, these mega massive albums. Yeah. And the first record's pretty twangy. Same. It's uh, pretty country. And that was Garth Brooks self-titled. Garth Brooks self-titled. What, what I really liked about this record, what I liked about all these early records is like 10 songs, 33 minutes. It's like, yeah. that's how you put out a fucking record, folks. Number one, I don't care what your genre is, like keep it under 45. Yes. No one has time for your yeah. shit. Just because a CD could hold 72 minutes, don't <laughs> fill it. Uh, yeah, that first record, I did, like I like I said, I did not grow up listening to Garth Brooks yeah, at all. I sure. listened to most of his early records today for the very first time. I took some notes, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. song by song. Tomorrow Never Comes, which is, I think, the second track on his first album. I liked that. I thought it was like somewhat interesting yeah. musically. Yeah. I don't know. But it sounded to me just like a pop song with country vocals and steel guitar. Number, Straight up. Number one single. Yeah. Surprise, Second surprise. Single. Surprise, yeah. surprise. I mean, it's a pop song uh, that was written by Garth himself and Kent Blazy. There were. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Kent Blazy? I believe it's Blazy. B L A Z Y. The names keep coming. Kent Blazy. <laughs> There was a song, there was like a story song on that song called Alabama Clay that was oh, really yeah. funny to me. I, f- I think story songs are really funny. I mean, that's a big one at the concerts, Alabama it Clay. Is? Oh, okay. yeah. People lose their minds. I couldn't finish it. I thought it was really <laughs> boring. I didn't I didn't even stay for like the last 40 seconds. I was like, okay, I get it. Sure. He goes back home. Yeah, that's Congratulations. Fine. Yeah, you get it. Yeah, you love your family. All right. <laughs> Uh, much too young to feel this damn old again. It's like these are the Western aesthetics. Remember? Yeah. Y'all remember? Hey, do you guys remember John Wayne? Well, listen to this. Yeah. Did you like any of it? Like, uh... like, or did any of it stand out to you? Like, oh, I have heard this. Like the dance. You've heard the dance. Can I tell you something? Yes. I did not know the dance. I honestly did not recognize the wow. dance at all. Um, wow. I literally wrote down, can't believe the dance is so famous, (laughs) medium boring, 
I like the minor key stuff. Not as good as I hope you dance. The best country song about dancing. Yeah. Well, uh, my two cents. A 2019 perspective on a 1989 <laughs> album. I also I, I liked the song uh, Nobody Gets Off in This Town because I'm like, is that about fucking or not fucking? Maybe. Nobody Gets Off in This Town. The one I, there's a song where he sings the word banditos, which is very funny to me. Is that your culture? The bandito culture? <laughs> well, you know. Maybe. I don't know. I just like that. That is a fun name, though. Fun word, though, for sure. Banditos. Uh, there is a bit of controversy on this record with the song Every Time It Rains. It's uh, The lyrics are about a singer reminiscing about a one-night stand. Ooh. So Garth is quoted as saying, I'm not going to tell you it's a true story, but I'm not going to tell you it's not either. I love my wife with all my heart, but the woman that song's written about will know when she hears it exactly who wrote it. Okay, that's kind of rude. It is rude. And he backpedaled later by saying, (laughs) there's nobody else for me but my wife, but there was a life before her that still affects me and my songwriting today. Fair. Fair, fair. But also, if you're putting this record out at 27 and you got married at, what, 22... It's like, have you just hit the seven year itch mark and you're just like reminiscing about like the old times you got your dick sucked? Like, I mean, come on. Uh, Just saying. Well, I think what I found interesting about that is that sentiment is echoed almost 100% on the Chris Gaines album. Interesting. So I'm not getting ahead of ourselves, but for those of you that are here for Chris Gaines content, if you are familiar with the song Unsigned Letter, from uh, Chris Gaines' oh, yeah, 1994 yeah, yeah. album, Apostle. It's almost this exact same story. Like, we'll we'll cover it in the next episode or future episode, but groundwork is being laid. Without a doubt. Yes. So that was Garth Brooks, right? That was his debut album. Garth Brooks, self-titled. Uh, it's pretty critically well-received. It was fine. I thought it was fine. I thought it was like a good country album. The very first song, it just sets the stage, whatever it's called. It's like very country kind of swingy Western vibes. No Fences, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the one, right? Uh, I think from this point on, from Garth Brooks on, so No Fences is released in 1990, which is also mind-boggling to me that the very next year he's got another full album Mm -hmm. out. But from No Fences onward, it just it's nonstop. It's yeah. insane, it's particularly the next four. But No Fences is awesome. No Fences opens. I didn't realize that the opening song was And the Thunder Rolls. The Thunder Rolls. I did not know that was the first song. Killed it. That's exactly how you set up a track listing, my friends. That's exactly <laughs> what you need to be doing. Yeah. Like, start with the fucking bangers. Like, open it up with the hits. Yeah. And that is not a country song. I mean, it is. There's twang, but... That's a rocking song. It's an unequivocal banger. You like how I put that hard G on there? That's how you know. <laughs> it's a rocking song. Rocking. Yeah. Uh, but the dance, the song that you didn't love that much, the next single uh-huh. was Friends in Low Places. So like back to back, he's got the dance from the self-titled followed by Friends in Low Places from No Fences. And Friends in Low Places also a banger. Also a banger. Fun fact about Friends in Low Places, Garth's mom leaked it to radio stations on accident. <laughs> How do you accidentally... She gave a cassette copy to a DJ friend of hers and family friend, trustworthy, played it on the radio, made copies, sent it to other radio stations. Oh my God. 
Uh, oh my god yeah but pam lewis his management team uh mtv exec with experience with madonna prince and boy george used it as an opportunity i mean those people have a lot of controversy around them and i think she had the experience to know like ah this is an opportunity not a bad thing christatunity Christatunity. Yeah, so No Fences is another one that's just like a half an hour long. <laughs> that's, I love these short records. Um, I was thinking, so No Fences came out in 1990, correct? Correct. And The Thunder Rolls, so that means The Thunder Rolls came out in 1990, which I remember that song from my childhood. This was not in 1990. This was maybe 92. I remember being in like second and sure. third grade and my classmates and friends talking about it. And I remember them talking about the video specifically, which was very controversial. It was. Very controversial. Um, There was thunder. There was murder. Uh, There was Garth Brooks in a wig and glasses. Yeah. But here's, but do you remember what happens in the video for In the Thunder Rolls? Uh, I can give you you the high level synopsis, but by by all means. So long story short, woman kills her abusive husband with a gun. Yeah. Garth Brooks is playing an abusive husband Mm -hmm. in the video. This was a mere two years after Janie's Got a Gun by Aerosmith with very similar things. Themes in both the song and the music video. A woman using a gun to protect herself against her abuser, her family member abuser. I just, I can't help but wonder if Garth was influenced by Aerosmith here. Just, I mean, just asking questions. We know he's influenced by Aerosmith, <laughs> for sure. I think that's a fair question. Just asking questions. On this album, on No Fences, 1990, there is a song called Mr. Blue, which is a Fleetwoods mm. cover. If if you know the Fleetwood song, it's a beautiful song. It was so good. I really liked that one. Yeah, it was written by Dwayne Blackwell who also wrote Friends in Low Places, which to me, Mr. Blue being written by the same person as Friends in Low Places is absolutely bonkers. Like 40 years later? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I actually, my note for Mr. Blue was uh, notably better than everything except the hits. I think it's interesting that he's got a cover on the album. Personally, mm-hmm. um, we start to see that more and more as these records go on, that Brooks is willing to do cover songs, which I think stretches and redefines country music a yeah. little bit. I was just looking at my notes again for Friends in Low Places, which I love, which I love. I think I love that song. It's a you're, wonderful song. You're not an animal. Everyone loves it. But that being said, he really takes the trowel and digs deep for the like country accent and the growls and the diphthongs and the whatnot here. Yeah. What country music fans don't understand, according to non-country music fans, how even the best of the best, the best of the best, and there's no doubt in my mind that Friends in Little Places is a best of the best country song, sounds like a parody. The best country songs sometimes sound like parodies yeah. of country songs. I you know what I mean? That. Like he goes, I got for it. I mean, you fuck, he fucking goes for yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like, that ivory tower that you're never known. Cause I got friends in places where the whiskey ground. Do you think that's our perspective because we were never really country fans? Uh, yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah, I'm as a non country fan, right? Yeah, it seems I, like. It almost sounds like a joke. It right. almost sounds like a joke. If you're not 
if you don't listen to country accents like that, country boys, and it's all put on. Right. And it's we're Southerners. So like the country accent to us is not. It's not anything it's not a new rarity. or different to me. It's yeah. every, it's what everyone in my family sounds like. It's what everything, it's, it's the voices I've heard my entire life from the people who love me. But, and that's why I can tell, you know, and I think maybe that's why I've always taken like some, like a little bit of umbrage with country music generally, where it's at least the mainstream popular conception of country music, where it kind of takes those things and it really does turn it up to like a comical level to yeah. some degree, to some degree. Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, there's a lot of rock musicians that way. Queen, I think, kind of took the idea of rock and roll. Led Zeppelin, like a lot of those big rock bands all seem like parodies of rock and roll. Yeah. They also help define it, but they are like... Come on, I man. I mean, you can't listen to like a Led Zeppelin song and be like, is this about the fucking Hobbit? I mean, it's funny. Yeah. It's and it, funny. And it is about the Hobbit. It is. 99% of Led Zeppelin songs are about the Hobbit. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird and funny. And like kind of a joke we're yeah. gonna do this bombastic shit about these hairy foot motherfucking i almost called them fredos what are they called frodo frodo's. was one of the hobbits names thank you yeah they're called frodo's all of them <laughs> whoa <laughs> so at this time 1989 this is about where my research starts to fall off because good god this man releases a lot of albums back to back but it's important to note that he's on the road a ton he is kicking ass at playing live he names his backing band Stillwater. Tremendous. Tremendous. True Blue, man. That's amazing. Oh, also, I just want to say The Chase is how I know him. The cover of The Chase is Garth Brooks in my head. If yeah. I were to picture Garth Brooks, that's the that's the, the cover where he's got the black and white Mondrian style yes. kind of Western wear shirt. That's what I see in my head when yeah. I picture Garth Brooks, a youngish man looking like that yeah which i think that and in pieces the the follow-up 1993's in pieces the cover is very distinctive both covers are very distinctive they're very bold colors they're very simple mm -hmm. but they're also not quite country like he's got a western wear shirt on but the sh colors are nuts and he's and he's got a cowboy hat on, but there's something about it, I think, that he's pushing. Well, yeah, it's the, like he's building up the iconography of himself. This yeah. is this is the this is not the cowboy, but this is my version of a cowboy. And my version of a cowboy is a singing cowboy. And a little more accessible. Not Gene Autry, but like Not John Wayne. <laughs> no. Yeah. And the chase, I listened to the chase after that's what, the fourth record. Mm-hmm. It's just it's like on by that point. It's like you listen to the first couple of albums. And it's like, all right, these are these are pretty good records. But like by the time you get to the chase, it's like I'm Garth Brooks. Yeah. It feels like capital letters. And this right. is my music. And this is what I'm doing. And right. you're, you're here for it or you're not. The confidence level is super high. Through the roof. Yeah. Uh, it is not. I, I don't think it's as country compared to the first couple records. I feel like there's way more twang on Garth Brooks and No Fences, and we're seeing this progression of integrating more rock. There might still be fiddle and, and all of the you know the pieces yeah. that you need, but he's moving into a more upbeat thing, which I think speaks to something that you said in the last episode, that he is a creature of the stage. Yeah, I mean, there was another good song on this record that was another Kent Blasian Brooks. I can't remember the name of it. It's like the second or third song, but it's just fully like a Broadway vocal stage anthem. It yeah. just is. It just is. Uh, there's a Walking After Midnight cover on this record, which is a straight up country song. And he sings it in a very country way, but there's no like oomph in his voice. Do you know what I mean? He sings it very technically proficiently yeah. and very nicely and very well, but there's no feeling. 
in my opinion. There's no emotion in that song in his presentation of it. It is a very it's like here's walking after midnight. It's that song you know. It's that song you love. Yeah. I'm gonna fucking nail yeah, it. Hey yeah. bitch, I just nailed it. But it's like I'm not about to cry when I listen to it. Right. And I want to cry. What, what's interesting is the next song on the on the album after that is it's a Little Feet cover. It's called Dixie mm. Chicken. So oh, yeah, yeah. He's, Back to back. Dixie Chicken is a fun song, too. Like, I mean, the original. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But we should note here, too, from the time Garth Brooks releases The Dance in 1989, he's got The Dance is a number one on Hot Country. Friends in Low Places, number one. Unanswered Prayers, number one. Two of a Kind Working on a Full House, number one. The Thunder Rolls, number one. Mr. Blue, not number one. Still a great song. (laughs) Rodeo. I mean, we're into 1991 now. Roping in the Wind. Rodeo, number three, Hot Country. Shameless. Billy Joel cover by Garth Brooks. Yeah. Number one, Hot Country Shameless with steel guitar. Yeah. What She's Doing Now, number one, Hot Country. Papa Love Mama, number one, Hot Country. Another Song of Infidelity. The River, number one, Hot Country. The Chase, 1992, We Shall Be Free, bit of a gospel song, number 12. <laughs> but still, number yeah, 12, yeah. Somewhere Other Than the Night, number one, Learning to Live Again, number two, That Summer, number one. This list keeps going, number one, number one, number one, number three, number two. Like, he's At what point do you it. think he's fuck it rich? After how many songs do you think it takes for guards? In the early 90s? What, four? I mean... Isn't he fuck it rich by the Thunder Rolls? Like album two? I guess and so. And he's playing live shows, which has got to just be That's where the money is. Money on That's him. where yeah. the money is. So another notable cover we get in 1995 is The Fever, which is actually an Aerosmith song hmm. off of the album Get a Grip. I mentioned this because Fever by Aerosmith has some of the worst lyrics in the world. It's a song about getting off of drugs and getting hooked on sex. Garth put a fiddle on it. And one of the verses, uh, Steven Tyler sings, the buzz you be getting from the crack don't last. I'd rather be Odeon on the crack of her ass. Garth does not sing that. Garth rewrites this song, takes the melody, gives them songwriter credit, and puts his own new spin on it that's all about rodeo. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I love it. And now I'm fiction now I'm now I'm telling stories in my head of, of Garth rewriting all the songs to be about rodeo. Yeah. It's like you've heard Green Sleeves. What if it's about rodeo? <laughs> Have you heard Green Sleeves about rodeo though? Yeah. I love it. So just kind of banging through this here, like 1995, seven singles all doing relatively well. Uh, 1997, the album Sevens comes out. At this point, everyone's getting... This album goes diamond. Wikipedia doesn't even list what the singles. What even is a diamond? Is that 10 million? I think it's, it goes diamond. Whatever that means, y'all. A lot. It goes a lot. I mean, <laughs> people are so worn out on how successful these are they're not even updating the wikipedia page and he's like a global superstar is the thing to remember too he's He's not just an american country i mean ireland brazil yeah israel australia peru you know like they're printing his tour programs for japan russia like all over places that have no idea what the country archetype with the country stereotype none of that Mm -mm. that they are loving him but you know what they know they know a cowboy hat. They do know a cowboy They hat. know a tight shirt. They know tight jeans. They know tight boots. And everyone loves a fucking pop song. Mm-hmm. And Garth is doing it. Yeah. From 1989, when his first album was released, all the way through 
1998. He's releasing something every Pretty year. much every year, yeah. Pretty right? much every year. Uh, there's a there's a Garth Brooks collection slash greatest hits that comes out in '94. He's 32. When a greatest hits collection comes out, That's he's barely three years younger than me. <laughs> he's barely a decade into his career. He has a greatest hits collection. He releases a box set that's a reissue wow. of the first six albums. It goes to number one on the country charts. Jesus. These are albums that have already been out. They've just got B sides now. It broke numbers for a box set. Like the dude is going nuts. Like he he has more money than God. He is touring like crazy. He is super successful. Mm-hmm. I would assume massively respected as well. Maybe that's not a good assumption. Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on who you're talking to. I guess it depends on who you're asking. Well, as as we noted prior to recording, the country music world gauges so much on these billboard numbers. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about how heartfelt someone feels about it though clearly if he's touring the planet selling out shows he people feel heartfelt here's the thing that people need to always remember not about music but about the music industry the music industry doesn't give a fuck about the music and that's not hard to keep in mind i don't think that's hard to remember (laughs) yeah that will be the title of the show because that is the best context to remember as we reach november 1998 When the Double Live album is released, Garth comes off of multiple years of touring. Mm -hmm. November 1998, he's hanging up the hat for Christmas, and we slide into 1999, where this episode pauses. Because 1999 is where all the things happen with Mr. Gaines. We've got you up to the point of understanding how Garth got to Mm -hmm. 1999, brought you all the way up to it. We didn't dig into the details of sevens or fresh horses or in pieces. No, but I mean, things to remember, things to keep in mind. He did spend a great chunk of this decade on tour and on the stage performing live. And one huge reason that Garth was so successful with country audiences, and he has good voice, obviously, like good songs, fun, engaging showman. He's also very self-deprecating. Oh, he's hilarious. He's so self-deprecating. And he's like, I'm just a guy. Like, I'm not very good at the guitar. Like, I'm kind of chubby. You know what I mean? And people love that because he's like a relatable man, not the guy who's been like singly focused since he was 18 years old on success. He's just a guy who likes to play the guitar. And I just want to get up here and play my guitar for y'all. I'm not very good. Thank you so much for coming out and showing me so much love tonight. You know what I mean? Actually, I got to tell you, I've been researching. Uh, we've been working on this podcast. We've been working on the SNL thing. I truly believe all that. After all my reading, I believe that he is just a, a nice guy. Is he also a businessman that's super smart and laser focused on what he wants? Yes. But I also believe he is that. I think he that, is a nice guy, but I also think like he's just turned the state. He turns it all up to 11. Yes. He turns it all up to 11. Am I singing with a country twang? Bitch, it's 11. Am I going to be Mr. Self-deprecating? I'm going to be, I'm going to hate myself more than you hate me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And every, and people, not everyone loved Garth. Millions of records sold all over the world. Tons of fans. His fans were people who listened to music. Yeah. Which is great. Which is everyone. Which is the people. But, like, there are always purists within anything. And country purists were never really Garth fans. They always perceived him 
to be on the poppier side. It's funny because he was so influenced by George Strait and George Strait's return to country and the purity of country. And that's what Garth wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But Garth twisted pop country to be not that and to be more accessible and to be more rock yeah. and roll. And, you know, when you look at country music now in 2019, it's unrecognizable yeah. from those those traits i saw i can't remember where exactly i read this but i saw something it was like an a really good analog for garth brooks isn't necessarily another country music artist but a really good analog for garth brooks is the movie urban cowboy and that here is here we are presenting country music to a very wide audience in in pretty much a really sincere way but just up to 11 yeah you know what I mean? And he popularized the genre. I mean, the 1990s is when country blew up. And that Without has everything to do with Garth Brooks. That has, that has everything to do. All due respect to George Strait. All due respect to... Clint Black. All due respect yeah. to all of the above. But country music would not have had the 1990s that it did there would not the dixie chicks wouldn't have been the way they were without garth brooks shania twain wouldn't have been where she was without Garth. it just is garth popularized the genre because he brought in pop music elements to it more so than other people had with the exception of like dolly pardons here and there sure absolutely. my two cents my two cents as a non-country music fan and having listened to a pretty decent handful of his records right I think it's also important to remember what happens, what headspace you're in when you have a decade of being the biggest selling artist of all time. Everything I do is a number one. Yeah. Like everything I do is a number there's one. There's a couple stumbles here, but I mean he's going diamond on so many of these records. I think he's like over Elvis in terms of total records mm. sold. Like he has not only a bunch of money and a lot of people backing him up, but he's crushing it who is who is going to tell garth that he has a bad idea it's really it's crazy to me I, it's hard for me to think about the number of records he's sold truly because it's like who's what else is elvis and the beatles it's like right i can say i can name 10 elvis songs off the top of my head i can name 50 beatles songs i could name prior to this project two right i could name two garth brooks songs if you are not a country music fan he probably is you're not going to come across he's not going to come across your radar you could name more j-pop songs than you can garth brooks songs. without it even even today having spent most of my day listening to garth brooks songs yes that's true <laughs> so uh as we wrap up this episode i just want everyone to keep that in mind as we prepare for the chris Gaines episode just think about you know, it's Paul McCartney syndrome. You know, he put out Paul McCartney put out a bunch of records that were not great because Paul McCartney had massive really success. name one <laughs> Red Rose Speedway. Mm. Not great. Mm. Um, <laughs> just imagine being in that position. Not only someone thinking, "Oh, Garth doesn't this Chris Gaines thing is going to be insane." Mm-hmm. Why would you think that? If Garth came up with this insane idea and you thought it was insane. Just Has Garth let me down in the past 10 years? Look, right, exactly. Nope. And as you noted, the music industry doesn't care about your feelings. The music industry doesn't care about your feelings or your artistry or genre. Yeah. Or making sense. Yeah. They care about one thing and that's money. It's a money industry. Um, I have a quote before we leave. Oh, uh, we got a couple miscellaneous items. Miscellaneous items. Um, so the CEO of Capitol Records, who goes by the name of Ray Lott at the time, he said the goal of the Chris Gaines project, the goal of the project, to sell more than the recent Garth Brooks studio albums. Oh, 
high bar. High bar. Diamond. Yeah. He's a diamond motherfucker. Um, so a couple misc items on my list. As I mentioned, uh, there were so many references to sexual exploits that I just uh, I had to write. Th- I don't know if uh, Rick Mitchell, the writer of this book, was also as obsessed with Garth's sexual side as I am. But <laughs> he said that uh, Garth would hang out after shows and women would ask him to sign their undergarments. And Garth, being the polite man that he was, would oblige. Oh. Sign the undergarments. He got in some uh, trouble with that, with the uh, Sandy. Oh, one course. can imagine. Yeah. He says, God, I love this quote. Because my music is sexual, it always pushes those buttons. I will have to fight temptation from inside me for the rest of my life, as long as the music is there. I'm reading between the lines there. Some, I don't know. Is I, that's so funny. Because my music is sexual. I didn't pick up any sex appeal in any of these songs. Personally, someone's got to, but a millions of millions of people absolutely do. It yeah. takes all kinds, you know. Right. So, uh, thanks everybody for listening. I know it's a lengthy episode, but uh, it's 2019, and he started his career. He was born in 1962. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> what are we supposed to do? Uh, we really appreciate it. We'll be back soon. Uh, you can find us at Garth Gaines SNL, Chris Show on the internet. Tweet at us for anything that we said that was dumb or that we missed <laughs> or that we should apologize for later. We will not apologize, but tweet the things that we said that were funny yeah. also. Yeah. That's that, more important. Please validate us. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, everyone. I am Michael Eads. I am Ashley Spurgeon. This is Chris Gaines, the podcast. Talk to you next time. And lastly, this happened in September of 2014, way after all of the shit that we're talking about. But I have to mention, Garth Brooks, at one point in time, launched his own version of iTunes. It was called Ghost Tunes. Uh, Again, a great fucking name, if I do say so. Amazing. You know why it was called Ghost Tunes? No, why? Because it stands for Garth Hosts the Tunes. Ghost tunes, Garth hosts tunes, ghost tunes. It is so corny, but also fantastic. I, I love it. It was the only place to get his music, and he did it for better royalties. And there were high quality MP3s instead of low quality MP3s. Like he had a good idea. It was the same server in the Clinton basement. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so that launched.